0: Every team, every topic, everywhere this is believe. won the European Cup. You can feel the passion, the emotion. Welcome back to Believe in Borussia, your Borussia Dortmund podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. My name is Tilo. welcome to episode number 7 of this podcast and thank you for tuning in. And a special shout out goes to Kim from San Diego, who runs a BBB fan club in San Diego and has left us a really nice review on Apple, so thank you for that Kim, much appreciated and it's always great to hear from other BBB fans and fan clubs around the country. With Dortmund facing Red Bull Leipzig in two super crucial games back-to-back in the league and in the German Cup final, it is the perfect time to take a good hard look at the upstart from the Saxon Metropolis and explain to continued criticism around the club. And we'll have a quick look back at last week's events from the Cup semis as well as the recent transfer chatter. So this weekend recap will be as quick as the game itself. The tie was over by halftime. A cup semi-record five goals were scored in the first half by Dortmund. And Gio Reyna, our American boy, got on record with a brace and only 45 minutes of work. The only fat asterisk of the game was the Moray injury, which looked pretty daunting. And it's likely that he's going to be out for a long time. Kiel, to their credit, came to play and not to fight soccer. But on a perfect pitch and against an informed form Borussia Dortmund... There was only one winner possible, which sets up the final, which is held on Thursday, Thursday, not on the weekend, Thursday, May 13th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It is a bank holiday in Germany. That's probably why they picked that. And it also has ramifications on the following Bundesliga match against Mainz, which will now be played Sunday at noon instead of Saturday at 9.30 with the season end approaching, the transfer chatter is picking up again. And we've basically been linked with about every goalie in Europe that has ever played the game. To me, one of the more interesting prospects is Lille's Maia. And he was supposed to transfer to Milan. It was announced as a done deal already, but nothing has been confirmed yet. It seems that the fate of this transfer is hanging on what Milan's Donnarumma is going to do. Who hasn't extended his contract with Milan, which runs out at the end of the season is rumored with a move to Juventus, which is obviously not putting him into the good graces with the Milan Ultras. But what else is new? Honestly, what baffles me more than all the names flying around is wondering what the heck Berkey did, or did not do, that got him out of the goal. I mean, Marvin Hitz is a solid goalkeeper, and he had some great saves in the last couple of games. But is he better than Berkey overall? I don't think so. It makes you really wonder, like, why isn't Berkey even getting a chance, for example, in the cup game? The only very unreliable rumors I've heard so far is that Berkey was mailing it in after his demotion. But that doesn't really explain why he got dropped in the first place. Did he have some beef with Terzic or uh, one of his teammates? Is it a personal issue on his side? It's very mysterious to me. If you know something or if you heard something juicy or reliable, Just drop us a note on Instagram or Twitter at BelieveInBorussia and share your insights with us. If you're equally well informed on matchday activities. Another transfer area where the odds have been shifting a lot lately is the coaching marking and the wheel of coaches has been spinning hard and the biggest name on it has now moved to Bayern. Irrespective of him being the best fit or not for Borussia Dortmund, Julian Nagelsmann obviously has a high ceiling and ambition. But to me, it's just ironic how off our timing with him has been. Again, I'm not sure if he's actually the best fit. And while he's a great coach, I do have some reservations on his people management side of things. But there surely are many things that would speak in favor of him. But in 2018, Nagelsmann wanted to finish out his year in Hoffenheim. But Dortmund couldn't just wait a year around until he finished. So instead, we got Lucien Favre. Now, Favre obviously got sacked very early this season, which prompted Dortmund to find a replacement as soon as possible. Understandably, the club wanted clarity around this key position and also be a first mover in the market, which is usually a good thing. However, now that our business has already been handled, all these other coaches keep on popping up. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. I have no idea if Nagelsmann ever considered Borussia Dortmund, but I'd be surprised if he didn't. That said, he's also a Bayern lad. He has family there, he supposedly was a fan when he was young. So to pull that off, we would have to have extremely good timing, as in step to him in the moment when he was available, but Bayern didn't seem like they would have a need. I, for one, also had an eye on Adi Hütter and was very surprised when he became available. Again, we made our move early to have some security for planning and also reduced the massive media noise that would have lingered on until Dortmund would have presented a new coach. And in general, any transfer business on our side now will be rather late and limited. We can't do everything at once. We got a new coach. Let's see what Rose can do. On the player side, Dortmund fended off United and others over Sancho, Haaland, Jude, etc., so we haven't sold one of our key cogs in years and actually added more people like Amber Chan to his squad. But with the Champions League still in jeopardy and million dollars of losses, the board will have to be extra careful so Borussia Dortmund doesn't end up with a billion dollars in debt and will have to need a Super League to bail him out. Damn! So, RB Leipzig. Some of you might despise them, some of you might like them. Some of you may say, well, what's the big fuss about it? It's all about making money in the business. But surely everyone is aware of the ongoing debate. And even for me, it does get a little tiresome. And what is tiresome to me is that the pro camp usually brushes over the very well-founded criticism around the club and is just oblivious to the facts. while the anti-Leipzig camp overreaches and project everything that's wrong with soccer and whatever else in their life, into Leipzig, which also really doesn't help in the discussion because it fosters misconceptions on both sides. Even our own players don't really get it. Mats Hummels in an interview said, and I paraphrase, look, not everyone in Dortmund is going to like to hear it, but I'm a fan of what's happening at Leipzig on the pitch and how the club has developed. Money alone isn't a guarantee So to me, that sounds a lot like, hey, you know, we're all making money, this is a business, and they're putting out a good squad. What's the big deal? So if someone like Mats Hummels, who's so close to the matter and has been with Dortmund for so long, would say something like this, I'm not really surprised to hear anyone in the States or anywhere else for that matter to voice a similar opinion. And it just shows me that the PR team at Leipzig is doing a fabulous job by moving the discussion from the very valid points of criticism onto something that has never really been debated at all by the critical fans, which is that Leipzig is putting together a good team and that they're playing decent soccer. Really, nobody ever disputed that. And it also shows that most of the mainstream media doesn't care or doesn't understand why Leipzig is actually being criticized because they're not bringing those talking points into the fold. Well... That's why you choose this podcast, so let's have a deeper look at it. The most obvious and simple distinction is that the whole raison d'etre, the reason for being for LB Leipzig, Borussia Dortmund was founded by a couple of guys to play soccer. And the reason of being for the club today is to assemble the most successful soccer team that they can possibly can within their means. And that is true for most of the other clubs. However, at RB Leipzig, the main goal is to up sales for the soda drink. So that itself, I think, is a super crucial distinction to make. I also don't think that the farm system that RB Leipzig has is particularly smart. Just because something is doable or feasible, it doesn't make it smart. Dortmund could double the ticket prices and still fill the stadium, but does that make them not smart to forfeit revenue here? I don't think there's anything smart about the farm system that Leipzig has. It's just more shameless, and it shows a willingness to bend the rules. The sole reason of existence of RB Leipzig is to market the Red Bull brand. It is not about improving the game, it is not about entertaining people, and it's not about lifting up a community. If flipping peanuts onto stray dogs would be a popular pastime, then Red Bull would invest into a club in that. They don't care about the sport. They only care about it because it's popular and it has a huge platform. The fact that Red Bull are so happy to operate in the grey and even violate rules as long as they can get away with it isn't smart in my book. Rating impoverished regions around the world for talented players more zealously and systematically than other clubs might be smart business, but so is the European Super League from a Real Madrid standpoint. It doesn't impress me. If your mission statement is about making money, then it's not about the people. Yes, as long as lifting poor and gifted players and developing them is an externality of making that money with soccer, so be it. But don't trust the corporation to care for much more. When RB Leipzig won its first promotion, they rewarded the coach and most of its team with the boot. They had served their purpose and got them a league up, but they weren't deemed good enough to do it again or given a chance to prove otherwise. RB Leipzig has a farm team in Red Bull, New York, and Red Bull Salzburg, who themselves have a farm team. And in all those teams, there's only one way, up. If you can't keep up, you will probably fall by the wayside. You think Red Bull reached out to old Leipzig soccer greats and tried to integrate them into the new club? You think they care about the fans and the culture? These teams have all but one purpose, which is to feed whichever club is the head of the snake at the moment with the best talent. Now you may say, hey, Borussia Dortmund has a second pro team, what's the difference there? For starters, nobody promised the second team, hey, we're going to invest and lift you into the Champions League, and when that got too difficult, just left them by the wayside. We also can't use them to shift profits and losses between the entities, or face each other in the same competition, as was the case with Leipzig and Salzburg in the 2018-19 Europa League. Ironically, Salzburg After having been raided for players and left in the dust from Dietrich Mateschitz, the owner and founder of Red Bull, for his new favorite toy Leipzig, they won both games against RB Leipzig. And they won the group and kicked out Leipzig out of Europe. Even more ironic, the first match in Leipzig, which was the home opener of the Europa League season, was attended by less fans than the game in Salzburg, where 29,500 people witnessed the game. To fully grasp why that is so funny, Let's take it back a moment. In 2006, Red Bull was shopping around for another club in Germany because their plan to lift RB Salzburg into the Champions League and make them a European powerhouse to gain brand recognition had failed miserably so far. And it didn't look promising for the future. The only thing that gave the club notoriety was the fan protests after Red Bull had, contrary to their initial promises, de facto abolished Austria Salzburg the club that they took over and changed the name, changed the club colors, which prompted disillusioned Salzburg fans to found their own Austria team again. They actually managed to lead the new founded Violet Austria Salzburg from the 7th division to the 2nd Austrian division and are now currently playing in the 3rd. Red Bull Salzburg, on the other hand, had failed every single year to qualify for the Champions League. 11 years in a row they were bounced in the playoffs, despite the investments made by Red Bull. They only finally made it when the Austrian champion was granted a start which became available when Tottenham and Liverpool had qualified already via the league and then played the final against each other. So let that sink in again. They failed to achieve their goal 11 times in a row while the new Austria, run by fans, scrambled from the 7th division to the 2nd division with little more than donations. So who's the better manager here? Now, back to Germany, because the clubs were so closely intertwined because of the connection to the mothership, the teams had to severe ties because they were breaching UEFA statutes. So a couple of folks here and there stepped down And Red Bull turned their ownership stake of Salzburg into a sponsorship role, but it's just a paper move. Simply watch the player movements, watch the fees, look who's still in charge at either club, all loyal Red Bull people on both sides. And if you think that a multi-billionaire such as Dietrich Mateschitz is not going to get his way on either team or get stopped by the UEFA, you're very naïve. I mean, did you not just watch the whole European Super League fiasco and the complete disregard these billionaire owners have of any rules or regulations or fans? Mataschitz wanted a Red Bull team in the Champions League. He bought Austria Salzburg and wiped them from the map and then set his eyes on Germany and found a way in by buying a fifth division team and its license in the suburb of Leipzig and started turning it on its head immediately Red Bull style. Red Bull isn't interested in fans, as we know them in Germany. They're interested in customers. And they show it by doing everything in their power to keep members with voting rights out of the club. Be it outlandish membership fees, very restrictive entry rules, and the hand-picked Red Bull Corpse that is currently running the structures and ensures that it will stay their way for the foreseeable future. RB Leipzig currently has 21 club members. That that probably makes them the smallest soccer club in Leipzig. Not only is a membership of 21 very elitist, but it's also turning the requirements of the DFL for clubs and the German club law into complete absurdity. As a point of reference, Borussia Dortmund currently has 155,000 members with voting rights. Bayern has 290,000 members. And they can vote on things like the club president or any other important matters for the club. Red Bull has 21 Red Bull affiliates to simply fake being a club and appease the willingly gullible DFL and DFB. These 21 members are as bad a thick leaf as Rasenball is a thick leaf for the Red Bull brand name. In many conversations, this setup of basically breaching German club law and circumventing the rules gets brushed aside with the myth of the soccer staffed region But I'm not sure if that's really what the region needs. Way before Red Bull, there already are and have been well-supported clubs in East Germany. Dynamo Dresden, Hansa Rostock, Magdeburg, just to name a few. And I'm sure they would love to have more assets and play in a higher league. But they obviously don't want to sacrifice their, their history, their logo, their crest and everything they stand for and become a marketing vehicle, as happened with Austria Salzburg. So, in which world is RB Leipzig filling their void? It's like trying to combat local store flight by bringing in Starbucks and McDonald's. It's really a soccer equivalent of gentrification. We steamroll a big money project for the sole purpose of generating revenue for the soda company and with complete disregard for the local needs, traditions, and the structures and push the few clubs that are still around even deeper into despair. Do you think the Energy Cottbus? which was a first Bundesliga team in the early 2000s, now has a better chance of signing or holding on to talented youth players with RB Leipzig around in the region? You think it's easier for teams like Dresden, Union Berlin or Magdeburg to win promotion with yet another spot taken in the league by a corporate team? Who's profiting here, the region or Red Bull? Not everybody is a Rostock or Magdeburg fan. And what about the fans that actually go to RB Leipzig? But if there's so many more fans that want to see RB Leipzig than these other teams, and if the region is so starved, in the short history of the club in the Bundesliga, the average attendance has been dropping year after year. The fan interest grew every year the team got promoted, but has been dropping off since. In the second division season in 2014-15, RB Leipzig averaged a respectable 25,000 fans. That's pretty good for a second division but it's still not even close to quote-unquote traditional teams like Cologne, Lautern, or Nuremberg, who averaged thirty to 40,000 fans in the second division at that time. In the 2015-16 season, which was the club's final season in the second division, winning promotion to the Bundesliga, they averaged 29,441 fans. There was apparently much excitement about their inaugural year in the Bundesliga because the average attendance jumped to 41,450. But ever since then, it's been steadily going down. A year later, they averaged 39,000. And then in 2018-19, the last season where we had a full season with fans, the average had dropped to 38,000. And it's not like people didn't take notice. In 2018, in only the second year in the first division, the German newspaper Welt ran a headline saying, Leipzig is facing an attendance fiasco. And they were referencing that not even 20,000 fans wanted to see the second only international knockout game in the club's history. Not even 20,000, that's less than 50% of the stadium capacity for a decisive round of 16 knockout match against Zenit and Petersburg. Compare that to clubs like Cologne, who travel away with 20,000 fans for the Arsenal game. And they also pack their home games in the group stages of the Europa League against, well, no offense, but not so sexy names like Bata Borisov with 46,000 during the week. They even traveled with 1,000 fans to Borisov in Belarus. Belarus, that's the last dictatorship in Europe. That's hardly a route easily traveled. Or think about Hannover. They took 10,000 fans in the Europa League to Copenhagen. Frankfurt traveled with 12,000 in a group match to Bordeaux. And Dortmund is obviously renowned for the highest average home attendance in world soccer period and feared for packing terraces throughout Europe with thousands of fans, no matter where. All these teams are what people in Germany call traditional clubs, teams that move the masses. So shouldn't the self-proclaimed messiah of East German soccer be able to do something similar or at least fill the stadium for an international knockout match, which again was only the second in the club's history period? Is this lack of commitment and interest really a sign of the figurative starvation? Well, I obviously don't think so. And it is not a fluke. The same thing happened with Red Bull Salzburg. Despite the majority of the active fans from the Austria days turning the back on the new club after Red Bull changed the colors, the history and the crest, they had a booming first year, averaging 16,000 fans in Salzburg, almost 10,000 more than the year before, when they were owned by Red Bull but had not yet been fully transformed into a Red Bull performance can. But ever since then, the attendance has been dwindling right now hovering at around eight to 9,000 fans a game. That game against Leipzig I talked about earlier at almost capacity, now that was an exception to the rule. It seems that RB fans in Salzburg and Leipzig only turn up in numbers when there is a novel event or they can stick it to some imaginary foe. I mean, how ironic is it of Red Bull Salzburg fans to turn up against Leipzig and express their anger for getting bullied and having their best tears plagued by Leipzig If that's the foundation of your very own club in Austria, I really don't understand. That's some very selective reasoning there. It was fun to be around while it was new and shiny, and there was a constant ascent because there were steamrolling opponents due to their financial prowess from players to facilities. That rapid ascent fed the narrative that Red Bull is just so much smarter than everybody else, and it forced all the opposition teams to reckon with them because, well, they had to play them, and usually watch their own team lose while Red Bull moved up a league. But I don't think that kind of eventism and pettiness really is a solid foundation to build long-term passion and interest. And I think that's one of the problems that Red Bull are facing right now with their dropping attendance levels. Surely there are Red Bull fans on both ends that are creating new traditions and habits that form supporters clubs with progressive agendas. But when push comes to shove, the club will leave you out in the cold. Because it only needs you as long as you produce value for it. But it doesn't want you to become too involved and actually have a say in its matters. When the Red Bull Leipzig supporters group Red Aces hung a banner in the stadium criticizing Red Bull owner Mothershitz as an authoritarian owner with alt-right views after he gave an interview with some questionable populist alt-right remarks, their reward was a stadium ban and being disallowed to distribute their own fanzine inside the ground unless it was handed in a week earlier for approval by the club. So the casual fans are less and less interested and the active fans get pushed out by the club because they don't want their input and they don't want them to get too involved. Now on the money side, I don't think you need to be particularly smart to outspend clubs like they did in their early years, like dropping half a million dollars on Paulsen in the third division, which at that level is probably half the budget of some of the clubs. And you spend it on one player. Why are people saying that's smart? Because it's a good investment in Paulsen? Yeah, it is. But I'm sure there's other managers that could also tell you in that division, that is going to be a great player. But none of these managers have an extra half a million sitting around to buy that player. And having the Red Bull mothership absorb a $100 million of debt from your balance sheets is also not proof of you spending that money any wiser. One of the going pro Red Bull arguments, even in Germany, is that all of these East German teams were or still are so badly managed that it's basically their own fault that they suck. Well, there are reasons why they were in dire straits and they lie in the turmoils of the post reunification era when dubious businessmen and women from West Germany picked apart the East German clubs and then sold them for scraps. Dresden, for example, Dynamo Dresden, one of the most popular teams, was ruined by Frankfurt-born Rolf-Jürgen Otto, who usurped the presidency at the club and then stole from it, embezzling more than 3 million marks from the club, a huge amount of money in 1995 that also landed him in jail. Of course, not everybody became a criminal in the process, but all of the West German soccer industry were looking for smart investments and landing a steal by luring away star players for cheap. And speaking of landing a steal, if you want to make a steal in the sunglass department, check out Canon. Canon is our sponsor, and they think it's time for you to make your outdoor experience better. Now, Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're actually made with Japanese optics for their lenses. The lenses are clearer, lighter, stronger, and they have Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. So you got Japanese quality and Italian style, Best of both worlds, just like this American podcast about a wonderful German soccer team. We have an exclusive code for you, KANANCAST15, to use at kanan.com and receive 15% of your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. Kanan, clearly better. And you know who else was clearly better? many of the East German players that became available at the dawn of the reunification. Western soccer executives like longtime Leverkusen manager Rainer Kamond, literally raided the East and in- introduced the East German clubs to free market capitalism by luring away the best East German talents like Andreas Thorm or Matthias Sommer for cheap, while the East German clubs weren't even able to compete yet. They weren't even part of the Federal Republic of Germany yet. So while the East German clubs were caught in a system that couldn't compete financially, they got picked apart, losing all their star players, often for close to nothing. And the same thing happened and the same thing happened in many other industries. The best mines and assets of the formerly publicly owned corporations were sold off quickly at a discount, and the rest simply lay bare, causing record numbers of unemployment in the East, which was another heavy burden on the East German clubs, while teams like Stuttgart or Bayern Munich have prime local industries like Bosch, Mercedes, Porsche, Audi, and even regions like Dortmund, which were hit hard by the decline of the steel and coal industry, had potent partners in the service sector, like the Continental Insurance. That's what the big C with the three stripes on the old neon jerseys from the 90s stands for. But Dresden, Halle, VFB Leipzig, they didn't even possess West German mark yet, nor did their fans in the stadium When that onslaught began, Andreas Thom was transferred from BFC Dynamo Berlin to Leverkusen in the January of 1990, six months before the fiscal union and nine months before the official reunification of Germany. Whatever valuable assets weren't moved westwards, probably ended up in some offshore account of former high-ranking East German officials from the party or state civilians apparatus that abused the power to run away with the rest of the country's crown jewels. Considering these adversities, it's a miracle that any of these clubs actually still play in professional soccer. Union Berlin was down in the 5th division before they clawed their way back up, carried by its fans. Magdeburg, Dresden, Union all struggled constantly financially while having to close a much larger infrastructure gap than their West German compatriots. But with their supporters behind them, they managed to build new stadiums, consolidate their finances and return to professional soccer. Now compare this with RB Leipzig, who accounted for 92% of the total transfer fees in 2013 when they went from the 4th to the 3rd division, dropping around 1.5 million dollars on new players, including Paulsen and Joshua Kimmich. And then the Bundesliga, they wrote off 100 million dollars, just like that. You don't think Dresden or Rostock could make it to the Bundesliga with an extra 100 million dollars? Is that really superior management? Just because you're not blowing through your money like some of these Super League teams that doesn't make you the Warren Buffett of soccer. But it's just such a nice narrative. We just work harder and smarter than everybody else. I call BS. The club was able to operate at a loss season after season and you saw what? You didn't sink your money into hiring Mario Balotelli for a PR stunt. That doesn't mean you work better than say than a club like Freiburg who very smartly manage their limited resources and put attractive soccer-playing sides on the pitch. Clearly, it takes some investments to close the gaps that we just talked about, and particularly in Leipzig, which used to be a soccer hotbed. You probably don't know that VFB Leipzig was the first-ever German soccer champion in 1903 and that the German FA, the DFB, was also founded in Leipzig. But the two world wars and the ensuing separation of Germany prohibited the city from being the headquarters for the West German FA for obvious reasons. But if the DFB was so keen on revitalizing the East, and Leipzig for that matter, they could have moved the headquarters back there instead of building a new one amidst protests in Frankfurt. They could help revive the rich history of East German soccer instead of overriding it with a marketing product. So in conclusion, are RB Leipzig the smartest guys in the room? No. Granted, they have not thrown money out of the window as other clubs have. But have they done a better per-dollar job as teams like Freiburg or even Kiel? I very much doubt it. And it's not like they're operating with monopoly money in the business world. Again, they just erased $100 million in short-term liabilities from their books. And if you consider the cost of the overall infrastructure running several clubs, not just RB Leipzig, they spend just as much, if not more, than other top teams. Are they good for the region? Sure, there are plenty of people that follow RB now, but the attendance number has been going down. That scent of fresh car smell apparently has worn off a little, and in my book, simply replacing the existing frail structures in East German soccer isn't supporting. Now, for good measure, throw in the fact that RB curtails and silences their own supporters systematically and that the sole reason for existence is to market a soda And I really don't understand why people are so impressed with RB Leipzig. Well, aside from their apparent world-class marketing and PR. I personally would have loved for Red Bull to continue what they were doing earlier and supporting sports that don't have a lot of money and funding, like surfing and exports. Those were great initiatives and mostly added to the culture, allowing those niche sports and athletes to perform on a much higher level than they would without. But if there's a sport in the world that probably does not need more millions in it, It's soccer. Thank you for listening to Believe in Borussia on the Believe Podcast Network presented by Online. Tune in again next week. Don't forget to listen or download our other episodes. And until then, a black and yellow shout out across America.